Some people call Romans chapter 8 the peak of the Mount Everest, not only of the New Testament, but the whole Bible. And the verses coming up uh, that we're going to be in the next few weeks, we've been in Romans 8 for a while, uh, many believe that they are the peak of the peak. And so, really exciting chapter, oh man, oh woman, is it high and long and uh, wide and deep, this, this book. But uh, we're just going to be in two verses this morning. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let's pray. Lord, there's already been a lot expressed to you this morning, just in the worship prayer. Father, I, I, I pray in the name of Jesus, believing that that which you started, you are going to complete. Speak to us. Speak to my own heart as well, Lord. Speak to us. Lord. Your word says, open your mouths wide and I will fill. Fill it. Fill us, Lord word. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, we spent a full week and a half on verse 28 already. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are Called. We actually didn't make it yet to the end of the verse. The end of the verse says, according to his purpose. We, we stopped. The word called. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called. And we're going to get to the rest of the verse today. But again, why did we spend so much time on this verse already? There can hardly be a more important verse in the whole Bible when it comes to practical, day-to-day living. Meaning, if you don't get this Christian that God causes all things to work together for good. If you don't get that, if you don't live that, if you don't breathe that, you may be able to survive this life, but you're not going to be able to thrive. No way. Not in this broken world. All things. 
Many of your translations say, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called. If you don't live it and breathe it, that God causes all things to work together for good, you will be spending so much time trying to figure out in your own strength how you can work that impossible situation in front of you for good, and you'll exhaust yourself, and you will depress yourself. You gotta get this. God causes all things to work together for good. Why is that true? We discuss that because God is that. That is who God is. That's, that's the very nature of God. So Exodus chapter 34 verse 5 says this, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. He said, this is my name. Moses said, show me your glory. Show me who you are. And again, it it says in verse 5, so the Lord descended and he proclaimed. He said to Moses what his name is. And this is his name. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving and, and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. Now, some of you, can we go back to the previous screen? Dennis, the one right before this. So some of you may be thinking, okay, I'm about 90% there I I get the 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 merciful and gracious part I get the long suffering and abounding in goodness there's the word abounding mean overflowing mean it can't contain it, it's so he's so full of goodness he's abounding in it in goodness and truth And then verse 7 says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But but, but it's that last part. By no means clearing the guilty. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, and I'm guilty. I'm not going to play make pretend. I got a record. I'm guilty, Pastor Steve. God is going to cause all things to work together for good for me? So I, I, I hope you're willing to go deep with me early here. We, early in the message, you usually wait a little while, but are, are you ready? Okay, let's go deep. If you are in Christ, let's keep that up, Dennis. Thanks. If you are in Christ, remember that's the, the that's the word, that's the two words that describe you fifty times in the Bible. Some say seventy. All in the New Testament. 
It's used to describe you. If you're in Christ, the Bible says you're innocent. You're innocent before God, for a holy God, a consuming fire, white-hot holy God. You are 100% innocent. The Bible says that all your guilt was put on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Father, who does not clear the guilty. He never does that. We don't let judges hang around in Massachusetts if they clear the guilty. God's not like that either. He's the judge of all judges. He does not clear the guilty. But, but the guilty, your guilt was put on Jesus Christ. He, and that guilt, because of that guilt, he was condemned. He became guilty. Bearing your guilt, Jesus became guilty. And God the Father punished God the Son by crucifixion on the cross. The guilt now condemned and paid for, you are innocent. You're innocent. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says... In Christ, you are blamely, rather blameless and holy, innocent before God in love. It says that because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Meaning, that last part of the verse, you can cross it out in a sense because it doesn't apply to you. But everything else does. <laughs> Every other part of the verse does. Go to the prior uh, uh, verse, uh, Dennis, here. Merciful and gracious. This is all God is to you. The totality of what God is to you now that you are in Christ is that he's merciful, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's abounding in goodness, working all things together for your good. He's abounding in truth. And he keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives your iniquity and transgression and sin, meaning that ongoing relationship where we are just, uh, we're perfect and holy in Christ, but we still have that sin nature in us. And, and, and we saw that in Romans chapter 7, that, we get, that sin dwelling in us, but we confess and he forgives. And the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But, we're, but you're innocent. You are innocent. That last part of the verse doesn't apply to you. You who are in Christ. So again, all things work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose, God wants you to get to the point where that is your daily food. Not just for daily survival, but daily revival. Are you with me? That, that 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 person is a thorn in your side, or plural persons, or that thing, that situation, that pain, that illness, 
He's working it for good. That lost child. That lost brother or sister. Just talked yesterday with a, a man who buried his sister. That lost brother or sister. He is going to work it for your good. That must become your daily food. It must. Not for your daily survival, but for your re daily revival. Goodness is who he is. Can we have the, the, the previous screen, Dennis? He is abounding in goodness and truth towards you. You say, I want to be there, Pastor Steve. I'm not there yet. You'll get there. You will get there. You keep seeking the Lord day by day, month by month, year by year, God will most certainly bring you there. And I tell you, it's the most wonderful, liberating, empowering place to be where this verse, God works all things together for good, is your daily food. God's going to bring you there. So let's talk about the last part of the verse. According to his purpose. Very, very, very well-known verse. As we talked about the last week and a half, if you weren't here, I, I, two messages um, um, we spent on this. If you weren't here, you may want to listen online. Very misquoted verse, very butchered verse, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called. It, it, it's clearly, there's a condition on this verse. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called. We, we talked about, um, about what that meant when it says uh, to those who, who, who love God. It doesn't mean everyone out in the street who says they love God and they have a love for God like they have for their granddaddy. The problem is, is granddaddy, God, God doesn't have any grandkids. God only has children. And, uh, and, and, and when it says the called to those who love God and are called, that, that means God called you into a relationship with Jesus. If he did, the verse applies to you and you can go to the bank with it. But then it says, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, uh, th that's an interesting thing. We put up John chapter 10, uh, Jesus calling himself the good shepherd in John um, uh, chapter uh, 10. He says, I am the gate. Uh, anyone who tries to come in from another way is a thief and a robber. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. He goes, I call my sheep by name. That means when he calls sheep by name, that he's calling them into an everlasting um, relationship with God. And here in Romans 8, 28, what do we learn? That when he calls you, he's got a purpose. He has a Purpose.
It says, called according to your purpose. What is the purpose? It's the very next verse. Verse 29 says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's break that down. It says, it says here, um, and this is a purpose verse. This is the purpose of your life. This purpose of God's calling. And, and, and by the way, a, po- a poll was taken earlier this year in Great Britain in which 89% of 18 to 25-year-olds responded that there was no purpose or meaning in life. 89%. A stunning statistic. That is what indoctrination to evolutionary, in evolutionary biology, will do to a nation. By the way, I'm in the process of lining up not, not only one, but God willing, two PhDs to tell us here at Calvary Chapel in the city what they think of evolutionary biology. But, but, but again, and you can be praying about that, that, that uh, more information on that soon, but 89% of 18 to 25-year-olds, no purpose or meaning in their life. And we're told right here what our purpose is. Verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Your purpose is to be conformed, fashioned, made into the image, the likeness, the life of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. But let's break it down. When it says, those whom God foreknew. Don't think of God predicting the future. God knew who, uh, uh, you know, God knew who in the future would decide to become a Christian. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's, it's, uh, that's what, what oftentimes we use of the word foreknow. But it, it, this isn't about God saying, oh, I know, I see in the future that Steve Cole guy is going to uh, decide to be, uh, become a Christian. No, no, that's not what it's talking about. This, when it says God foreknew, it's the equivalent of God choosing, choosing you, rather, for salvation. Sounds strange? We were praying before the service today, and, and, and I was praying, this is true. When God shakes someone's hand, they're saved, right? At that, <laughs> Hi, how are you? He knows you. The moment he knows you, you're saved. It's a strange thing for us. We don't think like that, but look at Isaiah 53, verse 11. It's, this is speaking about Jesus. This is written 750 years before his birth. It's a whole chapter is about the coming of the Messiah. It says, by his knowledge, my righteous servant, meaning Jesus, shall justify, meaning save, many. It's a crazy thing about God. The moment he knows you, you're saved. Another verse, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Are you with me? When God knows something, when the word know is used, it's speaking of a love intimacy. It's speaking of a love intimacy intimacy, and, and, and the Bible says when God foreknew you, it's the equivalent of saying he chose you, he loved you, he set you apart for salvation. 
Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter um, uh, 15, verse 16. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. When God foreknew you, he loved you, he chose you, he saved you. Jeremiah, one of the most striking verses about this is in Jeremiah chapter one, when God is calling the prophet Jeremiah into ministry, and he says in verse five to Jeremiah, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you or called you to be a prophet to the nations. So, so when Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, whom he foreknew, meaning whom he chose for salvation, it goes on to say, read it with me, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now that word predestination, it, it just don't get your mind all tangled up in a pretzel here with this word. It just, it's simple. It means God's predetermined destiny for you. The destiny that God determined, he planned, he purposed in calling you. That's what predestination um, um, is. It says that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So someone in the street of Boston comes up to you, shoves a microphone in your face and asks you, do you believe there's purpose or meaning in life? You say what? Yes. And when they say, well, what is it? You say what? To be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. By the way, today is the last day to sign up for the fall session of evangelism training. We finish the spring session. We finish the summer session. We have one more six-week session on Saturday nights. I teach it with Mary Wambua. And every one of you in this room, every one of you sitting here today should be able to speak to one of the 89% of... 18 to 25-year-olds, it's Great Britain, it's spilled over here, we're part of Western Europe, who do not know the meaning and purpose of life. So that sign-up's in the back. We need, we need to be speaking into that. What an opportunity. But what, what is the purpose and meaning of your life? Verse 29, Romans chapter 8 says, to be conformed into the image of Christ, to be formed, fashioned, molded over time, to look like, act like, be like deep down in your heart. Jesus. That's the purpose of your life. And what a glorious privilege, what a glorious purpose that is. I can hardly think of a, a, a better destiny, predestiny, of a, of, a different, of a better destiny that could be written out for anybody's life than to be conformed to look like and be like Jesus. It does beg the question, what does Jesus look like? What does the image of Jesus look like? 
What does Jesus look like? What does he act like? What is it like to be like Jesus? Now, that is why there's not just one book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. There's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You want to know what the image of Jesus, what the life of Jesus, what to, what to be like Jesus, what that's like? You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you read it again, and then you read it again. And you read it again, and you read it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Until Jesus comes, or you die and go to be with him. And read those four books every day for the rest of your life. And you'll probably only be a quarter of the way. Understanding the beauty and the power of Jesus Christ, who he looks like, who he is. Chapter, John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning of was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. That means Exodus 24, rather 34, verses 5 and 7, Jesus was the embodiment of this verse from Exodus. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. He was the embodiment of that. He, he was the person who represented that. Uh, it, next part of the verse keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and of anyone who ever lived, it's true of Jesus, he will by no means clear the guilty. Absolutely not. The previous slide, please. But it doesn't stop here. Gracious, long-suffering, abounding, goodness, truth. It doesn't stop there, stop there because um, you, you take that, you take Exodus 34, um, 6 and 7, and then, and then you add utter fearlessness. Phrases like do not fear mentioned about 129 times in the Bible. Why? Because man is full of fear. We are filled with fear. Jesus had none of it. You add this. Gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abounding goodness, and then, and then you add a man who was utterly fearless. He had a boldness and a courage to him unmatched in human history. And you add to that, the two words that Jesus uses to describe himself, the only two words he uses to describe himself in the New Testament, it says in uh, Matthew, uh, verses, chapter 11, verses 20 and 29, just as Jesus speaking, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Gentle and and lowly. What's the image of Jesus? What does he look like? What's it like to be Jesus? 
abounding in goodness and truth, utterly fearless. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Find rest for your souls in me. And then there's that picture in the last about third of each of those books about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about a third to a half of each of those books was just the last days of his life where he willingly, with joy, chose to go to the cross. He tortured along the way have an iron stake driven through his right hand and his left through his two feet while he hung there on the cross. The ones who cried out to the Romans to crucify him mocked him, laughed at him, cursed him. And he said, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 says that the purpose of your life is to be conformed into all of that. And oh man, that's just a just a breath beauty of who he is. I want to pause for a second. Some of you may be thinking, can we get the second Exodus slide up, uh, Dennis? Some of you may be thinking, wait a second, like mercy, the one right before that. Gracious, long-suffering, doesn't that mean patient? I don't don't want to be that. Abounding in goodness and truth? Why would I ever want to be like that? Lowly and gentle in heart? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, it's nice to think about this guy who was like that. Asking for forgiveness and loving the very people who tortured him? I just have no desire to be like that. If you're thinking something along those lines, almost certainly, you're not a Christian. Almost certainly, you are not. The reason is, is because the Bible says that at the time of uh, a person uh, opens up their heart and says, Jesus, I am Tired of being my own God, you are the Son of God. Come in and save me. At that moment, the Holy Spirit invades and becomes a permanent resident in their heart. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit in them, actually, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14 that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to get you thirsting to be like 
Jesus. To be like Jesus. So if you're not thinking along the lines, you know, uh, humble, gentle in heart, uh, no, no, it's not me. There's, he, he, he's holding out his hands to you, the Bible said. He, his hands, by the way, which uh, uh, with the, the scars from the, those iron stakes uh, right in those hands. Uh, and those hands, one of those hands is knocking at the door of your heart and said, let me in, I'll come in, I'll save you. There's salvation for you. But if you have no desire to be like Jesus, I can say with almost 100% certainty, you're not a Christian. Because the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. I may be leaving now, I'm leaving you now, but the Holy Spirit is gonna come, and it's good that I leave, because if I don't leave, he's not gonna come, and when he comes, it says, he will come inside of you, and you through him will glorify me. I love this uh, verse from James chapter four, uh, four, verse four. It says this, and only only James can say it like this. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, meaning the spirit inside of you, Christian, is yearning. It's yearning. It says, yes, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. Lord Jesus, I want to be like you. And why is all this happening? What's the ultimate goal of this purpose? End of verse 29. Read it with me. We're conformed into the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So that he looks at you, brother, and you, sister, and you, brother, and you, sister, and you, brother, and you, sister. And they're like, wow, they, they must be related to that Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being glorified by the Holy Spirit through your life. That's the end goal. Now again, one of the biggest struggles of my 30 plus years in the Lord, particularly the first 10 or 20 years, I'm feeling old, numbering my decades here, was like, man, I I don't look like... (laughs) I don't look like Jesus. And, 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 and many of you are struggling with that. So important. Or rather, let me back up. Some of you are struggling so much, you don't even believe it anymore. You don't even believe it. But what did we learn earlier in the chapter, in verse 13 of Romans chapter 8? It says, if by the Spirit... The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. You put to death, you kill the flesh, you will live. Here's a couple, you know, the word of God. Here's some promises for you to embrace that, again, as I said earlier in this message, he's gonna do the work in you. You be patient, you seek day by day, week by week, year by year, just walk forward. 
It's, it's nothing spectacular. It's, it's nothing hard to figure out. It's so inc- incredibly forward. You walk forward with Jesus and he's going to do it. Consider this promise and slay that flesh in you that doesn't believe. 2 Corinthians uh, 3 verses 18. But we, and that includes you, but we, with unveiled face, meaning we're no longer blind, Behold as in a mirror the glory of God, meaning the glory of the Lord, meaning when we open the Bible, we read about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And if you haven't also already memorized Philippians 1.6. You got to, when it comes to this subject, Philippians 1.6 says, he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You have to understand something so important that you understand. God has a thousand, ten thousand, a million times more interest in you being conformed into the image of Jesus than you do. Because he loves seeing a reflection of his son. I love seeing my son up here thriving. I love seeing my daughters thriving. But God loves seeing his son thriving about a million times more than I do. Want, 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 want to see my son or, or, or daughter thriving. He is the one, it says, who's begun a good work in you. And because of his purposes for your life, not your purposes, his purposes, it's him that wants it, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Over time, Christian, be encouraged. He's going to do that work in your life. I got to tell you, if I could ask the worship team to come up at this time, but I want to close with this. After 30 years walking with God, more than ever, I just want to be like Jesus. More than ever. And I I was thinking as I was preparing this message, what would I rather see? What would I rather see? I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. What would I rather see? A thousand souls come to salvation in Jesus Christ in the next year? Or me becoming more like Jesus? Without a doubt, it's the latter. Without a doubt. I want to become like Jesus. It does not say that he called me to save a thousand souls. That's up to him. If I start striving over growth, 
and over building up my kingdom, like we see throughout the, the, the body of Christ in the United States of America, if I start, start striving for power in the church and, and, and just getting on Facebook every time I can and slamming this president or that opponent of the president or being outraged at this or being outraged at that, if, 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 if that's what my life is about, I have completely missed the purpose for God in my life. What would I rather have? What would I rather see in the next year? A hundred men and women just growing like crazy in the Lord? Or for me to become more like Jesus? I'd rather have the latter. It doesn't say that the, 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 that the central purpose of my life is to, to disciple people. It says become Become into the likest, strive, seek after, become, turn, seek after God so that he can change you into the likeness of Jesus Christ and he will do what he wants if he wants to disciple 10,000 people through you in the next year. He'll do it. I just want to be like Jesus. I, I see so much bickering in the church, in the body of Christ. It, it, it is so, just even this weekend, some pastor called me. It was just so discouraging. And I, 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 just because of just man building his own kingdom. Trying to get people to, to come or stick around in any, any, kind, of way, any kind of way. But, 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 but I read what Jesus, I read what he said about himself. He said in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, he says, I say to you who hear me, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the wicked love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? That even the wicked do that. And then he says this, love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, for your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. The Son of the Most High loves his enemy. In Calvary Chapel in the city, I beg you, when you hear that verse, when you read that verse, love your enemy, I beg you, don't be justifying yourself because you pray for some ISIS guy or Taliban guy to be saved. That's not supremely what it's talking to, talking about. It's that person who criticizes you, who doesn't say hi to you, who, does, who steals credit from you at work, who complains about you. It's that husband in your home who se seemingly could care less about you. It's that wife who cheated on you. It's that parent who abused you earlier in life. That's what makes Christians distinct from every other people in the world. They are becoming like Christ. They're loving the unlovable. I just want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be building my own kingdom anymore. 
Jesus, who hung on the cross for you, he died for you. And, and he has, with the, with the wrath of God hanging over you, he plucked you out, of that, out from underneath that wrath. He called you to himself. You're now saved. And you have this glorious purpose, people. It's to become, to be transformed, no matter how painful it is, and to his likeness. And there's a joy there that's an exceedingly great joy. Don't rip yourself off. Let's stand as we close in worship. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name. If you've been asked to pray, please come up. If you've been asked to be a prayer couple, if you could come up. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, thanking you for this wonderful calling, Lord. What a calling it is. What purpose, Lord, in a world, Lord, 89% of 18 to 25-year-olds in Great Britain do not know the purpose or meaning of their life. And, and Lord, we're here. We're being raised up to tell them and people like them, you have filled our life, inundated it in the most blessed way with purpose, with life. But Lord, how we need the Holy Spirit not only to draw us after you to be like you, but just to do the forming and the, the fashioning and in the suffering and in the victory, Lord. And God, if we could just worship you now, grant us that in Jesus' name.